Welcome into another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It is a feel-good Friday, March 26, 2021. Got a packed show for you today. Going to be highlighting the NBA trade deadline that went came and went yesterday. Going to be talking a little bit about the Sweet 16 matchups that we have on Saturday and Sunday in March Madness. And also we've got ourselves a big pay-per-view UFC 260 that'll be Saturday night. Headline between a heavyweight rematch between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. Going to be really excited about that. But before I talk about any of those things today, there's two big shows on Disney Plus. You know, there's a debut for one show, and it's episode two of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, something I've already recovered episode one, and you know, I'll be watching that later today. But this morning I woke up early, and while I was getting ready for the show, I decided to pop on the new Mighty Ducks show that debuted. I watched that episode, and I'm not gonna lie, first impressions. It's it's better than I expected. I had a couple laugh out loud moments, and I'm not going to talk anything about it because let's be real, it's only been like I think on Disney Plus for at least seven hours at this point, seven in the morning while I'm recording this. So I highly doubt many of you even have had the opportunity to even watch the show. So take my word for it. If you enjoyed the Mighty Ducks, or I think you'll enjoy this show. It's pretty good. Gordon Bombay comes back. Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls, she's pretty good as well. So, you know, there's a couple funny kids in there. So it's a pretty good show. Definitely a thumbs up. And I'm look I'll look forward to fully reviewing the show next week's on next week's show. So I'll be reviewing the Mighty Ducks and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Man, Disney Plus. I'm like a full Disney Plus reporter, I guess, going on right now. I don't know how good I am, but hey, at least I'm covering it. So, NBA trade deadline yesterday. I covered a little bit of it. I meant I talked about how Aaron Gordon went to the Denver Nuggets, and I was highlighting that you know there was going to probably be a few more moves that happened before twelve Pacific time yesterday or three Eastern. So there were a couple moves that I'd like to point out and highlight. JJ Redick he got traded to Dallas, so giving Dallas some more shooting depth help spread the floor and I think that that's only going to make Dallas more dangerous with Luka Doncic and Porzingis so you know Dallas could be pretty dangerous come playoff time and especially if Porzingis can stay healthy because we saw last year that Luka Doncic like if he balls out he can win some games against some really good teams so if he has um, a good stable of you know guys to play with like Porzingis and if JJ Reddick could you know be consistent from three like he pretty much has been his entire career I think Dallas could be you know dangerous yeah beginning of the season they were kind of a dark horse team for me but and they kind of underachieved at the beginning but we'll see if they can make a run here Miami they got Victor Oladipo that's a pretty good move for them add some depth on their wing you know, he's hasn't been quite the same player since his injury, but, you know, he's still averaging, I think, a little over 20 points per game. He's not the most efficient shooter, but I think that it definitely makes Miami better and, you know, strengthens them in the East to at least try to get back to the Eastern Finals. I think it'll be tougher this year, but it's a move that definitely makes him better. And Rajon Rondo, he's going to be coming back to L.A., but he's going to be playing for the L.A. Clippers. So they made a trade with Atlanta. They sent Lou Williams to Atlanta. And Rajon Rondo, he's going to be 
helping facilitate for the Clippers. So I think that that's a good move. Rondo's always been a good defensive point guard, and he's been he's a really great facilitator. So it's an interesting trade, and I think something that'll help the LA Clippers, who apparently word was in that they were in for Kyle Lowry. You know, it seems like a lot of people were in on Kyle Lowry. Miami was. So apparently Oladipo was kind of plan B for Miami because I think that they were in on Aaron Gordon and Kyle Lowry. So when both fell through, that's what they wound up with Oladipo, which I think is a pretty good plan B. But, you know, with Kyle Lowry, there was a lot of people inquiring about him. A lot of people assumed that he had played his last day in Toronto, but, you know, he's staying put. So with him being a free agent this offseason, it'll be interesting to see if he's going to stay in Toronto or if he'll take that opportunity to move on. And another player that people thought was probably going to get moved was Lonzo Ball. He was also rumored to potentially go to the Clippers amongst a couple other teams, but he's staying put in New Orleans. This offseason, he's going to be a restricted free agent. So, you know, if New Orleans is going to want to keep him, they're definitely going to have to pay for him because I think the rules with the restricted free agent is that people can try to sign him, but New Orleans will have the opportunity to match. So, I don't know. Alonzo Ball might not be in New Orleans for too much longer, but he will be at least for the rest of the 2021 season lobbying passes to Zion Williamson. So, you know, Alonzo Ball, he's had a pretty sneaky good season like recently I saw I think that he has more three-pointers made than Trey Young you know Trey Young is someone that's kind of when you think about Trey Young he's known for his shooting and Lonzo Ball is kind of known for having a really wonky shooting style so he's definitely found his J in New Orleans so it'll be interesting in the offseason to see if Lonzo does stay in New Orleans or if he does try to you know join a contender according to LeVar Ball if you get all the Ball brothers on one team they would just run the league and it would be a complete would be the Ball's league so hey maybe he goes over to the Hornets but I mean with his brother kind of manning the point there I just don't see how Lonzo Ball would fit there even the middle guy Jello Ball I don't so I don't know. So, you know, NBA trade deadline, it was pretty interesting. The Lakers didn't make any moves like we expected. I was totally expecting to come on this show and to talk about the, what the move that the Lakers made. Andre Drummond apparently has had a bought out buyout from his contract, so I think that he's available to sign somewhere. So I think there's going to be a lot of teams inquiring about him. I'd be surprised if the Lakers don't make a push to get him because I really think that the Lakers do need some sort of reinforcement right now, especially with the injuries to their team. They lost again last night. I think that's their fourth loss in a row. So I think L.A., they need to figure something out because, yeah, I mean, I even with AD and LeBron, if they can get back for the playoff push, who knows how sharp or how rusty they'll be. So I don't know. I mean, the Lakers are kind of – I don't know how confident I'm still feeling about that L.A. Lakers pick. You know, I might be kind of, you know, Utah's still a team that I think is really dangerous to look out for. The Clippers, I think, are going to be dangerous in the West. Same with Denver. You know, in the East, you got, you know, Milwaukee, you got Brooklyn. So, I don't know, man. The Lakers, hopefully, you know, LeBron's four- to six-week outlook for his his ankle. Hopefully, it's a... Hopefully it's more of the four-week and not six-week. And if it is the four-week, hopefully he's not rushing back too soon. 
So, you know, keeping with the basketball talk, we'll switch over to college basketball, highlight the Sweet 16 matchups real quick, and don't worry, we'll still talk about UFC 260, so I will run through these matchups real fast. So on Saturday, we've got number 8, Loyola Chicago, versus number 12, Oregon State. You know, Oregon State, I think that the reason why they're going on such a run right now is I kind of gave them my blessing. They were the one number 12 seed that I actually didn't pick to get out of the first round. So, of course, they're the one number 12 seed that has gone on a run and is in the Sweet 16. They're running up against Loyola Chicago. You know, it's a small religious school, but that doesn't mean that they're not good at basketball. They've been to the Final Four a couple years ago, and they look really good right now. They knocked out Illinois, so they knocked out the big school from their state, and you know they could potentially make another run to the Final Four. I think they can definitely knock out Oregon State, but it's pretty crazy that you know, regardless of this matchup, that we're going to have a number eight seed or a number twelve seed in the in the in the Elite Eight. <clears throat> The next matchup, it's going to be number one, Baylor, versus number five, Villanova. Villanova, I mean, they've they've won a couple national titles recently, so they're, you know, they're performing how I guess many people would expect in the NCAA tournament. I thought the injuries were going to hinder them, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And, you know, Baylor has looked really good. I think they could beat any team in the country. The next game is number three, Arkansas, versus number 15, Oral Roberts. You know, Oral Roberts, man, who would expect a 15 seed to go all the way to the Sweet 16, knocking out number two, Ohio State, and then following that up with beating number seven, Florida, in the round of 32. So, you know, if a number 15 seed can make their way into the Elite Eight, into the Final Four, I think that would be pretty insane. That would be the definition of some madness. But me personally, I'm definitely going to be pulling for Arkansas. I have them on my bracket going to the Elite Eight. So, I'll definitely be pulling for them. The last game on Saturday night is number two, Houston, versus number 11, Syracuse. Jim Beheim with his son, Buddy Beheim. They've, you know, they got a couple wins here with Syracuse. They knocked out San Diego State in the first round, who I had going at least to the Sweet 16. So that kind of messed my bracket up a bit. And I have Houston going all the way to the national championship. So I'm definitely going to be pulling for Houston. On Sunday, we've got number one, Gonzaga, playing against number five, Creighton. You know, Gonzaga's look good. They've looked like a number one seed. They look like they undefeated. They're, you know, they're playing as well as advertised. And they come up against a Creighton team that survived the first round matchup against UC Santa Barbara and then played pretty well in their second round matchup. So I think it'll be pretty good, but I think Gonzaga should take it. I have Gonzaga winning the national championship, so hopefully they win. We've got Michigan, number one, Michigan versus number four, Florida State. Michigan, I think, is the last representation of the Big Ten, the, you know, that highly touted Big Ten conference that was expected to be one of the best conferences going into the March Madness tournament in recent memory. And after one bad weekend, they're now being touted as one of the most overrated conferences in March Madness history. So number one, Michigan. You know, one of the teams that a lot of people, I think, were expecting to be the one of the, the first number one seeds bounced. They've won their first two matchups. So, you know, they've got Florida State coming up. And, you know, I think that Michigan, you know, the way they've looked pretty good in the tournament so far, and I think they can get past Florida State. We got number two, Alabama versus number 11, UCLA. You know, UCLA, they weren't even part of the original 
bracket, they had to play against Michigan State to even get into the first round. And, you know, where they beat BYU and then they won their next matchup. So they're here against Alabama. I got Alabama going to the Final Four, so I'm pulling for Alabama. And the last matchup of the Sweet 16, we got number six USC versus number seven Oregon. You know, just a couple, another couple Pac-12 schools. A lot of Pac-12s represented in the Sweet in the Sweet 16. So you know, USC, they're being anchored by Evan Mobley, their the projected NBA lottery pick. He's been a stud. And Oregon, they've got some pretty crazy three-point shooting. They put up 95 against Iowa, and that's 95 points in regulation, not even overtime. So, you know, this Oregon team, if they can get hot from three-point, they're definitely dangerous. And, I mean, if you're putting up 95 points, you could be anyone in the country. So, you know, there'll be interesting college basketball. You know, if you've got your brackets filled out, definitely keep an eye because I think it's after the second weekend that you kind of get an idea of who's going to win your group's bracketology. I think in my group right now, one of the people that's in first place, she has San Diego State winning the whole thing. And as I mentioned earlier, San Diego State got knocked out in the first round. So as these groups, as we move along, the points start getting worth more and more. And I'm pretty stoked because all of my final four teams are still in the tournament. So, you know, maybe there's still a chance for my bracket to somehow win. So definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. And I will follow up on it when we do get any updates with this tournament. So maybe on Monday or Tuesday. All right, let's talk about the big UFC pay-per-view that's coming up on Saturday. It's UFC 260, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou 2. Their first matchup was back in January of 2018. I remember a lot of the build-up to that fight was kind of, you know, hyping up Stipe, not Stipe, hyping up Francis. You know, he's, I mean, he's pretty marketable. He's a big, jacked-up dude, looks the part of a heavyweight champion knocks out everyone he fights and I think that's what the build-up to that that pay-per-view was it was like trying to culminate Francis Ngannou you know so when Stipe Miocic when he beat Francis I, he felt very disrespected I think that was the fight that he didn't even have Dana White put the belt around his waist he had his coach do that his coach or manager do that and he felt that he was being disrespected as you know the longest reigning UFC heavyweight champion up until that point so you know, that first fight, Stipe Miocic, you know, in that first round, he definitely ate some of Francis Ngannou's shots, but he was able to use his wrestling and basically dominate Francis. You know, Francis, since that fight, has said that he never really trains the ground, so he didn't really know what to do. Meanwhile, Stipe's a really great wrestler, and you saw in that fight evidence that if you have, you can have all the knockout power in the world like Francis Ngannou has, but if you don't know how you're way on the mat or you're grappling, especially in the UFC nowadays and with a well-rounded you know, probably the greatest heavyweight champion of all time, Stipe Miocic, you're not going to have a chance. I think that this fight is potentially going to be a little bit different. You know, the circumstances are different now. You know, this fight is three years later. Francis Ngannou has, I think, evolved as a fighter. I think from all accounts, from the interviews we've heard from, you know, he's probably he's put in more work on the ground game. So I don't expect um, Stipe to be able to implement the game plan as easily as he was that first time and I think Francis now having been in the deep waters of a 25 minute fight he's had that experience under his belt and plus they're fighting at the USC Apex Center so it's going to be a smaller cage it doesn't make any sense to me that 
the UFC Apex Center has this smaller cage as opposed to if they were fighting on Fight Island or if they were fighting at the T-Mobile Arena where it would be a bigger cage. So, you know, these big heavyweight dudes are going to be in a cage. So Francis Ngannou probably very early is going to have a chance to try to connect with these shots. So I really see this matchup really turning out one of two ways. It's either... Francis is going to be able to knock out Stipe, you know, because even though Stipe was able to take those shots in that first fight, it doesn't mean he's going to be able to take his, these shots next or this time. You know, the fight after his first Francis fight, he got knocked out by Daniel Cormier in the first round. And there's a lot of people mentioning that, you know, he took that fight kind of soonish after the Nganu fight where he did take some shots. And, you know, the more your chin is only going to last so long, you know, ask Chuck Liddell, you can only take so many shots. So I don't necessarily, you know, three years later, you know, over three years later, if Stipe's chin is necessarily going to be the same, if, you know, so I think chins only deteriorate. So I think it's either going to be a first round knockout by Francis, or we're going to just see a repeat performance by, by Stipe. Cause at the end of the day, you know, Stipe, He's not going to go in there scared. You know, I think a lot of people, when they fight Francis Ngannou, there's that intimidation factor, and it's well-deserved. You know, ESPN is almost touting Francis Ngannou as the most intimidating heavyweight, like, combat person since Mike Tyson. And, I mean, it's pretty similar. I mean, people would literally buy pay-per-views to watch Mike Tyson just knock people out and knock people out quick, and that's what Francis Ngannou does. But, you know... Stipe's already fought this guy. He wasn't scared the first time. Anytime you hear a Stipe Miocic interview, he just seems like a man's man. He still works as a firefighter. He just kind of has this like, eh, whatever. Like, eh, yeah, eh, yeah. Like, and he just, it doesn't phase him. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Stipe completely dominates him again. I think in the first fight, Stipe was the underdog as the champion, and it's crazy. I think going into this fight as well, he's also the underdog as well. So, I mean, if I'm putting money on this fight, if I had to pick somebody, I'd pick Stipe by decision again. So we'll see if that happens. So it's either going to be Stipe by decision, complete domination, or Francis is going to knock him out in the first round. It's going to be one of the two things. So either way, super excited. I Definitely it's worth seeking out this pay-per-view whether you're going to pay for it on espn plus or do it by other means definitely check it out because in the co-main event you got a welterweight matchup between tyron woodley and vicente luque you know tyron woodley is a former 170 pound champion he's on a three fight losing skid so he's definitely going to try to fix that because not too many people survive a four fight losing skid and especially tyron woodley is a former champion and someone who's been around for a while he probably garners a big you know, a big payday every time he does step into the octagon. And, you know, Vicente Luque, he's someone who's been around the UFC for a while. He's 12-3 and three in the UFC. He's got good Muay Thai, you know, good Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I think in a recent matchup, he was able to stop a guy just with leg kicks. So I think that this will be an exciting matchup as well. You know, Tyron Woodley does have a tendency to sometimes make a fight boring, you know, some of his fights with like Steven Thompson, for example, are some of the most boring title fights, I think, in recent memory. But, you know, he also has big power in his fist. And I think a guy like Vicente Luque will bring the pressure and it'll end up being a pretty good matchup. And in the, the 
the fight before that. We got a big one at Bantamweight as well. The return of Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's going to be fighting Thomas Almeida. Thomas Almeida was someone who was pretty hyped, you know, a few years back. I think when he went into his matchup with Cody Garbrandt, he was undefeated. And when he, like him and Cody Garbrandt were both undefeated and both touted as kind of like the next big thing at 135. But then he got knocked out by Garbrandt. And I think since then he's, he's one in three. So, you know, he's definitely on a skid. He's on a three fight losing streak. So he's trying to fight himself. And Sean O'Malley, he's someone that, you know, kind of when I've talked about in the past is, you know, some of these, like with Adesanya, how like the UFC kind of hypes these guys. And it seems like they keep hyping these people just to be let down. You know, Sugar Sean O'Malley, someone I think that is that case. You know, with his last fight, a lot of the the coverage and the media was around around Sean O'Malley, and he was very confident. He, you know, was undefeated at the time. Thought that he was just going to run through Chitavera, and you know he he looked good in his in in the the cheetah verify you know he looked like the better guy on the feet and he seemed to be doing well but very early on he started wobbling and upon further you know looking back at the fight when they looked at the replays i think it was calf kicks that did it on reviews or not reviews on some interviews this week sean o'malley has you know his he's keep on you know he's his same cocky self he's still calling himself an undefeated fighter because in his mind it wasn't a calf kick that stopped him he said that cheetah vera hit him with his big ecuadorian toe caught him in the nerve so he said that that was just a freak thing that never happens and if it happened again he would be even twice as surprised so in his mind he still feels he's undefeated because it was a freak thing that if he maybe if he got dominated for the whole fight and it was a decision victory or was getting pieced up on his feet and got knocked knocked out that it would be something but in his mind he felt like he was winning the fight on the stand-up until that freak thing so we'll see on saturday you know he was so cocky and it was definitely a fall from grace he's been talking about how since that fight he's gotten a lot more hate on the internet and there's a lot of haters every time he goes on twitch it's just people with clown emojis and talking shit so i think it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back he seems to still have that swag but I think you won't really know if he has that same confidence and swag until he actually gets in the cage and performs. So, like I said, definitely looking forward to this. I'll be covering this on, you know, reviewing the pay-per-view on Monday's show. So until next time, it's been a Cali Green Monster Show. I hope you've enjoyed it. You know, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I think the show is now available anywhere that podcasts are available. If you enjoy the show, you know, be a friend, tell a friend. If not, just pretend you've never listened to this show. But like I said, until next time, I've been your host, Dean Ryan. This has been a Cali Green Monster show coming to you from the Tesla studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego. Have a great weekend, guys. Peace.